One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I think I may have to tread carefully to begin today's Irish Times second captain's podcast because Murph and Ken. Yeah, Phil. We're going to be talking about a man who one of you feels already gets a little more airtime than he deserves in this country. The Uh-oh. football. Do you have an idea I'm talking about? I know who you're talking about. Yeah, well, the football championship didn't even make it through May this time before Joe Prodi made himself the story. Well, it's June now, I suppose. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm clutching it straws. Joe Brody, I'm talking about, Murph. Joe Brody. Yeah. Uh, you sometimes, well, look, I think we all would share your view that sometimes he's more easily ignored, but he, he inserts himself into the narrative. What can I do? I'm, mm. I'm going with the mass hysteria angle here. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, well, that's just the way it is, isn't it? I mean, for whatever reason, we've allowed ourselves get into a situation where one man can shout extremely loudly and uh, set the agenda for the next three days of... of uh, yeah, he says interesting stuff. Now, this one might be a little mm, bit repetitive. Interesting stuff. You weren't interested when you watched that clip back? I didn't see it at the time. At half time. Yeah. <laughs> at half time in the game. Yeah. I mean, interested. I mean, I was interested when I, when I read it first. You know, but I mean, I, I, if you're asking me when was the first time I read what he said, I mean, you're talking about at least three or four years ago. I mean... About McGinney. About McGinney and about uh, all the joys going out of the game. Like, again, see, here we are talking about Joe Brawley, right? Joe Brawley woke up the day after he won, so we might as well just get into it, I suppose. But Joe Brawley <laughs> uh, woke up the, the morning after the Iron Final in 1993 and he said, I felt nothing. You know, I, I felt nothing. What was it all about? You know, I just, I didn't get it. For, you know, there... The, the big nothing stretching out ahead of me. I've, I've won the Ireland and that was it. Which kind of leads me to suggest that maybe he didn't work all that hard for the Ireland final that he won. You know, the whole idea that people go out there and play the game, they work really hard and there's a real sense of fulfilment about it afterwards. Basically, his point is, why are all these players training so much? What are they doing? Uh, and, like, I've, I've, I feel like I'm repeating myself now ad nauseum, but people train, uh, go to the gym five times a week for no other reason than to just go to the gym yeah, five times a week. Yeah. People, if people find that they have a gift for something, what's enjoyable is often finding out how good they can get oh, it. Absolutely, yeah. But I'm not, I, I'm not, I wasn't interested in, in, the, in the fact that he was using McGinney to 
as a stake with which to and his failure to to beat the entire mm. the entirety of modern GAA. It's specifically the fact that it's McGinney, one of the most I think one of the most intriguing characters ever in Gaelic football. In fact, we're talking about Armagh, a county that was so successful recently, and Cross McGlen, a club who should be supplying half that team, but for whatever reason they only have two players in there. Uh, and th- that alone, I think, was interesting. The, the idea that. McGinney maybe has too much power, takes these players away from the clubs. And players themselves, you, we've, we've seen a few interviews pop up this week where nobody's coming out and, and slating here in McGinney. Certainly none of the current players are. But certainly there's a sense that they enjoy playing for Cross McGlenn a lot more than they enjoy the rigidity of the system yeah. they put in oh, place the, like the Cross McGlenn thing is, is, is really interesting. That's why we're talking to Oshie McConville in a few minutes. Oh, I remember but what, but what, yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is the last three days people saying... Or do you've got to do something about Joe Brawley? You can't allow this man to talk about <laughs> the sport that he's analysing. We can't. What, what are we doing? Like you know, we're, we've we, there's a, a a man roaming loose around the country insulting people. You know, something has to be done about Joe Brawley. It's like no, like who cares? Like Joe Brawley has a pop with Kieran McGinney. If you talk to Kieran McGinney about it, Kieran McGinney's going to be really annoyed about it. But I mean, he's not. You know, he's, like, that's it. You know what I mean? If someone says something terrible about me, I'm going to be annoyed about it. But I'm not going to say that something has to be done, that the, you know, the nation needs to act. You know, at the, fact, at the end of the day, he's on television. He's supposed to be entertaining. He's entertaining to some people. To other people, he's annoying. That's fine. You know, maybe the people who are annoyed by him watch even more avidly than the people who are interested or entertained by him. Like, it's all good. Like, it's all fine. It's no, it's no issue. But this, like... Four days of, we you know we need to rub Joe Brawley out. Yeah, like, someone needs to shut him up. These poison, you know, like I don't. <laughs> you seem great. You're hanging on Murph's every word there, Ken. Yeah, I can see you there. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's hilarious. Like, how yeah, does Joe Brawley get such a big reaction all the time? All the time. Well, why I, is it? I don't know. I he's don't, gifted. Like he he knows he knows where to jam the. He's not like in. Donald Trump, actually. He's he he you knows. Know, he's exactly actually a lot like Donald Trump. In what way? In that he just knows what to say at the exact moment to get a reaction out of people and people hate themselves for reacting to what he said but they can't help it it's a visceral thing for whatever reason whatever you feel about your body it's not with your head it's with your like your like your your heart your testicles yeah. something in your reaction to Joe Brawley is just vis- it's in your gut like yeah. I, you watch him and it's like I oh I, I agree with him or I disagree with him or you know it's, it's it, that's kind of beside the point yeah it's like he's pushing your buttons you want to get a reaction out of him, and that's it. It's something to do with his almost offhand style of delivery as well. You know, he's sitting there. Like, I was even, when you're watching back the other day, the tie is completely crooked. It's not really tied up properly. Mm. He, he kind of looks a little bit, a little bit loose for somebody who's, uh, you know, on national television. Mm. Uh, and yet, that, and even the way he's, he's talking, you know, he's, he's as though, well, we all know this, come on. It's, it's, yeah. it's the most obvious thing in the world here. Well, listen, his next TV performance is going to be huge, yeah. on huge, and we're all going to be watching in. All right, the co- that's the end of the Joe Brawley ad for today, Murph, you'd be glad to know. <laughs> uh, although, I am going to bring up the name, I'm sure, at some point, with the co-manager of Cross McLean for the last two years, long-time Armagh manager, uh, Armagh teammate of Kieran McGinney, Oshin McConville, who is best placed to tell us what exactly is going on between Cross McLean and Armagh, and why has it just gone so miserably wrong for McGinney? They were beaten out the gate by Donegal in the championship last year. That was a, one that was heavily hyped and people were expecting big things out of our man. It seems to me that maybe they've never recovered. They won a couple of qualifier games, beaten by Galway, then relegated this year from the league and this non-performance against Cavan. I have my own theory about it, though. Go on. 
Well, I think wasn't Joe Brady? Joe Brady said something like, "I've never seen Kieran McGinley win a win a major championship game or you know a difficult game, a tight game against a team that's slightly better than his team or something." Did he say something along those lines? He seemed to it's, be it's suggesting a, it's a criticism that has been. He seemed to suggest there was some tactic tactical element to it, some lack of know how on the part of McGinley. Yeah, with with Kildare was some, a, go on, sorry, one yeah. of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Right, you're talking about a game that essentially is free of tactics and is all about spirit, determination, and attitude. And that's the problem with the McGinney teams. I honestly think he makes his players feel bad by being so much better than them at being an athlete. <laughs> that he sets such an example of kind of ascetic dedication to training hmm. that they honestly feel shamed by it and, and just want to... Get away. If he just wore baggier t-shirts, his <laughs> players would feel better about themselves. Or maybe, you know, didn't... I mean, he, he, you know, his, his attitude is always... When, whenever you hear him talking about it, it's like, these players don't train. Are you serious? These, these guys don't, aren't training. This isn't training. He, he does talk a lot about how... I'll show you training. Yeah. I'll show you training. And most guys, I think, are a bit intimidated Why by aren't that. you inspired by that as a young... Athlete, because you're not going to be you're not going to be inspired by by something which this you can't possibly attain. This man's over forty years old, and he can beat me to a bloodied pulp if he so chooses. It's kind of like, wow, I'm I'm never actually going to make it, am I? I'm really just not made of the same sort of stuff here. I mean, it's just a theory. Uh, I don't know, but he is he he is among coaches in in any sport that I've seen. I, I mean, I can't think of a football manager who reminds me of Kieran McGinley in terms of. Uh, the sort of shape that he's in in his you know mid mid forties, uh, and the the way in which he's he's still more dedicated and as an athlete than the players that he's trying. I can't, honestly can't think of another example. There are guys who keep themselves in shape. You know they don't want to look fat mm. when they're wearing the tight trousers on the sideline, but they're not like um, six hours a day in the gym. Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors coach, is in good shape. But can you be pleased to know he's he's you know he's not a Monster or anything, he's probably about six a wiry foot. character. Wiry right? character, yeah, it looks tiny. He's about six foot three or four, but he's a four, former basketball, uh, NBA basketball player of high renown. And he has now led the Warriors into the finals, uh, the NBA finals, against most historical precedent and all the odds after they went three games one down in their series against OKC Thunder. And absolutely, so Warriors were. We remember we were talking about them towards the end of the season. They were going for this, uh, the best ever regular season which they attained. But at the time, there was a little bit of unease that maybe the players were going to get a little bit burnt out by the time the more important matter of actually winning these playoff games came up. And that looked like it was exactly what was in the process of happening. There were three games to one down. I'd seen that fourth game that was away from home and they were just awful. Draymond Green there, Roy Keane type figure. I don't know if I ever saw Roy Keane go out and be cowed by an occasion, but Draymond Green seemed that way he'd gotten in trouble the previous game for for kicking a guy in the balls basically and he had somehow gotten away with that but seemed to Sorry, come out basically of, well yeah that's what he did I was just he actually, thinking of a, a, a way to phrase it that was it did he disguise it as make it look as though it was part of the game well, or did he just get, well, march up to the guy and plant one <laughs> well can you're literally just in, in, a, in about a 10 second question there you've just summed up a debate that was raging for about two or three days in the US he kicked him in the balls. It was quite clear, as far as I'm concerned. It was nothing to do with the game. With with the with his toe, like with the with the end of his foot, kind of underneath, kind of the top of his foot, you know, the so, shin. Yeah, it was more closer to the shin. Yeah, he managed to disguise it just about well enough that they get the NBA officials gave him a free pass and let him to play, which was a disgraceful decision. But uh, that's the way it sometimes goes in, in playoff basketball. Anyway, they went on after that to rally 
win their home game, which brought it to a game six back away against OKC, which is the one they were expected at this point to, to get bombed out on, as they had been on that, that floor a few times. Incredible performance, won that one, brought it back to game seven. Even in game seven, they were 10 or 11 points down at one stage, came through again. So I would imagine Brian Murphy, in summation, is going to be a very, very happy man when we speak to him a little bit later on. I'm happy too, and I'm bloody excited. players and even the supporters, they all have to change their mentality. Congratulations, take the applause of that crowd. Defence and the best Charles is going for the high ball, trying to knock it down for Hosanna. Goal! And they've scored! <laughs> Ray Houghton! Oh, Whelan! And Ronnie Whelan has done it! Ronnie Whelan has scored a goal to grace any footballing occasion. We're a small country and we listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. Ah, that man is a large part of the reason why I'm feeling pretty excited today. If Roy Keane can perform as he did yesterday for the media, even once during the tournament, I think we'd all be mm. pretty happy about that. I think that. he probably will. I oh. think he might. You have a feeling <laughs> well, Keane's no, going to be I'm, a factor? I'm sure the yeah. fact that he'll be sitting in a hotel room with footballers for a month, he'll yeah. listening to more of this, will probably just have a deadening effect on his mood. You know, he'll just kind of come in, shrug his shoulders. You know, it'll, it'll just cow him into submission, I'm sure. I'm sure that's how it's going to work. We will take you through all the keynote stuff from this week in the football podcasts. Uh, we've already got a Euros preview chat from Cork out there with Brian Kerr, Stephen Hunt and Dion Fanning are all in great form in Crane Lane Theatre earlier in the week. And to remind you that we would have daily podcasts during Euro 2016, Monday to Friday, and Ken's going to be out there uh, covering everything on the ground. So looking forward to all of that. Oshin McConville is in studio. Oshin, how are you? One has form. Form is good. Form is, uh, form is very good. Um, Probably not great in Armada though at the moment. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the dubs later, maybe. But what's the reaction been to last weekend? Yeah, first of all, it was a very poor display. Um, it's been obviously brought in the late by the fact that Geezer got a huge amount of criticism after the game. Since that, all of his uh, ex-teammates and managers and anybody who knows him has sort of come out in his defence and. It's difficult, you know, I was difficult, I was actually walking at the match on uh, on Sunday. It's difficult for me because part of me thinks we just don't have the stuff. And then the other part of me thinks we should be operating a bit better than we actually are. Um, Cavan look really organised and, and probably deserve a lot of credit for where they have come from. We've talked about them over the last number of years. I'm a... Um, Look competitive at times, but look devoid of ideas at other times. So when you say that, I, I, I think what I'm taking from that is that when, obviously we're talking about Joe Brody's criticism here uh, largely and the emotive reaction to that. Uh, Paul Grimley probably the most forthright amongst those voices. But like you say, everyone naturally comes to the aid of, of this uh, big figure, especially if they were 
involved in in their careers. But maybe <clears throat> that that almost emotional reaction is masking some of the issues that are there. Maybe Brody does have a point in some of what he says. Yeah, I just think that it's strange every year within the GA that everything sort of centers around what Joe says. Yeah, and like. Honestly, we, we, we have tried to avoid it in the past, but it just seems <laughs> no. Honestly, like no, and, and that's and uh, that's fine. But I, I just like I decided with Joe maybe three or four years ago to give him the full pardon as such because I think there is a sometimes he does make a good point, but in the malaise and the and the way he says it, you know, the point is lost. Mm. So if he was trying to you know make the point that maybe Kieran isn't the best person for the job, I mean, you know, that's fair enough, but. I think he needs to delve deeper into Armagh football to realise that the standard of football uh, at, at uh, senior level in Armagh, at intermediate level in Armagh and at junior level in Armagh is not very good right now. Um, you know, that is borne out by the fact that apart from ourselves, you know, at intermediate level and junior level, you know, we don't, our clubs don't do well in the Ulster Club Championship. Um we have a good system where we are on cross in that uh, we have good players. But I don't believe that we have another four or five players that can play inter-county football and make a huge amount of difference to that Armagh team. Uh, I think we have a few guys who are maybe similar to the boys who are already there, but I don't think, you know, the cross Milan thing is something he continuously throws out there. Which is difficult for us. It puts us in a, in a very difficult position because we are we're we were we're around since eighteen eighty eight, and we're probably you know able to speak for ourselves at this stage. And um, we have plenty of voices within the within the club. Um, there is a bit of friction now between between you know Cross and Armagh, and I think that's a very simple thing. It's borne out by the fact that you know we're continuously winning county championships every year. And also, a lot of times, the guys who would normally go into a squad at November, December, January time, play the pre-season games, the pre-season competitions, and then go into the league and have a full league with those players. Kim McGinney hasn't had that because you know we've been, I suppose, successful enough over the last number of years. So he hasn't had that. So he hasn't had his full complement to pick from. I suppose the one thing you want whenever you arrive at championship stages, that you want to have your best players playing for you. Armagh um, didn't have their best players playing, all their best players playing for them last week. Um, Just on the point of the friction, though, Oshin, that you acknowledge yeah. is there, th- that was the same issue 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Cross were Absolutely. going really well, Armagh were yeah. going really well, yeah. and yet the management at the time managed to get over that. So why is it an issue in 2016? Well, one of the reasons probably was that Joe was manager um, for a lot of those years, and uh, he was probably able to um, able to walk both. I never really found it an issue. I never really found it a problem. There was times where we were we were uh, put under pressure to choose between club and county, um, and you know, as players, we wanted to leave that to both sets of management that they get together and, and they come up with some sort of agreement. And generally speaking, they were able to come up with something. Uh, and we were able to play both, but like I played uh, in the county for fifteen years, and I, honestly, I found that both club football and county football complemented each other in many ways. And the more games I was getting, I felt the sharper I was, the more confident I was going into games, not necessarily carrying injuries going into games. Um, it's strange that you know one of the things that's constantly directed at Kieran McGinney is that you know 
there's too much time spent in the gym. There's too much time not spent on football. Yet, last week, one of our problems was that we had a lot of players breaking down towards the end of the game, fitness-wise. There was no physicality, no physicality in the game whatsoever from our man. Absolutely, and any any hits that did go in, you know, the Calvin boys are coming off, uh, you know, the better of those hits. So, uh, I think people have a, a warped view of what Keir McGinney's uh, view of football is. And during his time at Kildare, to be fair, a lot of time they played fairly open, fairly attractive football. Time has moved on and he th- and he thinks or he's being advised that, you know, the way to, the way to play is, is play a defensive system. There was one incident which summed up last week for me. We had 14 players within our own 45-yard line. A Calvin player gets the ball, I think it was Keane Mackey. Andy Mallon comes out and he pushes him in the back. Now, if you're talking about disciplined defending, if, if Armagh have worked on getting 14 players, 14 bodies back... Um, that's fair enough but you, you can't legislate for somebody coming out and pushing somebody back it was a free kick they kicked the point the ball came back out um, Grove McKiernan got on it uh, he got the ball 50, 45 metres out and the Armada defence retreated back to the edge of the D because they thought you know we're going to protect the D he kicked two points in a row mm-hmm. from 45 yards and uh, you know I just think when, when, the system seems to be muddled up in that we're getting players back we're not getting any tackles in. Um, we look, to be honest, uh, at times we look dead in our feet. And 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 the thing about that one is, as you know, if a team's on top of you, if you're playing divided confidence, because we've gone from Division 2 back down into Division 3, um, we don't look as if we're playing with any confidence. Uh, and I think, you know, we look slightly confused in the way that we're playing. Uh, what about the issue that uh, has been raised as well? That it's not just a thing with it's 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 not just okay. Cross have two players on the team or two players in the twenty six, yeah. and you're saying maybe there's not. I, I think actually the one of the issues with Joe Kernan when he was in charge was that the guys coming back in there was no never any argument about Francie Bellew's right yeah. to be on the team or the McEntees or you. Now, if if you're saying, and you know, obviously you know the situation better than most, if if there's not the huge marquee players, what Cross is now based on, the success of Cross now is based on 15, 20 really good players and not the stars that maybe the ha- Cross and Armagh had in the last 15 years. Maybe that does make it more difficult for McGinney. But one point that's made a lot is that Cross play football that's fun, that's enjoyable, that uh, players get a chance to express themselves and that going into the scene in Armagh is depressing for whatever reason, that there's no uh, room for free expression in, in in inter-county football generally and in the Armagh setup specifically. What what would you say to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. I think, you know, we have one, I suppose, standout player who's not there and that's Jamie. And Jamie has chosen not to go in this year. Um, when I talked to Jamie and, and Jamie would ask me about my opinion now and again, Probably not so much now as as in the past, but I always think you got to play football at the highest level that you can play at. I mean, you don't get too many opportunities as a Gaelic footballer to play at a very high level. Um, Jamie has opted out this year, so he's all one standout player that is is missing from that. Is it? Uh, is there no joy in it? I'd say it's as joyless as any other camp. Put it like that. Um, 
But I think, you know, this thing about uh, inter-county football being joyless, it was never a bundle of laughs. Let's let's put it like yeah. that, you know. Right. Uh, and, you know, like I was at the the <laughs> Ulster Club final in the depths of winter, and it was minus fifteen degrees. And I'm kind of thinking, God, this isn't exactly, you know, uh, you know, the French Riviera either, you know. Yeah, uh, Inter-County football was never, you know, it was never that bundle of laughs. And uh, I always say that in my last couple of years as a as a, an AMA footballer, they had brought. Benny Tierney back in as a goalkeeping coach and it was only at times it was him that sort of you know gets you to go to training because he's, he's constantly having a laugh and he, he's you know he's taking the mick and he's playing practical jokes and all that sort of thing it's up to players you know sometimes to bring the fun back into it you know and one of the things we used to do because I, I would have felt that the, our club was going like that at one stage we had a meeting uh, after we drew an All-Ireland final one day and uh and we were told, in no uncertain terms, see for the next 10 days, no media whatsoever. You're not allowed to talk to media, don't even look at them, uh, don't answer the phone, none of that. So I was walking, it was a crew of us walking together. So uh, the next morning, we had a guy called Brendan McKeown. He played full back for us. And uh, I made a call and I said, this is Brendan Crossing from the Irish News. I was wondering if I could get a few quotes from you. And uh, he says, yeah, no bother. <laughs> and he started talking. <laughs> What, uh, a God, you would believe the meet we had last night. Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> we laid it on the line yeah. out there. Six weeks later, we were going and playing in the in the quarter final in London, and I had the the uh, I had it recorded and I played it over <laughs> the I played it over the bus. We got a we had a bus and I, I put it up to the microphone on the bus and we played it over the bus, and we were having a bit of crack with something simple like that. And you do hear of county squads who, who are who are having that bit of crack and, and Arma, as I say, is probably no more fun than anybody else. They're doing a serious amount of work. They seem to be, to be honest, a pretty tight bunch. And what I've heard over the last number of days is that they genuinely don't think they're that far away. I on the other hand think we're 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 quite a good bit away, especially on last week's performance. And that, as you said on one of the first points you made to me is that getting lost in all of this media coverage? And I think it is. And that's the fear, even from a player's point of view. When you, you're you a player now, even though players will tell you they don't read this or they don't listen to that, they'll read it and they'll, and they'll, and they'll watch it and they'll play it back. And uh, one of the things that's getting lost is, you know, how poor we were defensively, um, how poor we were in the middle of the field and how we didn't get enough ball into what is quite a dangerous forward lane. We have forwards who can do a bit of damage, but the, like if you compare Bernard Brogan, I know this is this is not like for like, but if you compare Bernard Brogan and the amount of chances that he gets in a game and you compare that to the amount of chances that Stephen Campbell or Gavin McParland or Tony Cairn or any of those guys got last week, I mean, you know, every time they get the ball they they're supposed or they're they're um there's a real pressure on them on them uh, to do something special because they're only getting that ball in their hands every five minutes or whatever it was. So, I mean, if we're going to play the way we were playing, then first of all, we need to be a lot more um, defensively sound. We need to keep that structure and we need to be disciplined in the way we tackle and we need to try and get out. You know, you try and get out and try and get ahead of the ball because there's no support for a forward line. Just on the... And without harping on too much about the sort of cross... The a bit of friction there is 
does part of that come from the Cross McGlenn side? Jamie Clark did an interview recently with the Examiner, and he says, "Look, if Cross was in Tyrone or down, I'd say it would still have the same impact on football there. It's basically because we would think that we're the best. You know, it's obviously uh, you're right to think that in Cross McGlenn because you've been the best team in the county for so long. But does is there a touch of arrogance there that maybe could rub people up the wrong way, particularly if, as you say, the quality of footballer you're not quite you're not quite getting the same." Uh, top level footballers coming in from Cross McLean so that the, the guys already in there thinking well, these lads from Cross are coming in and they're not even they think they're shit hot and they're actually not that great yeah absolutely I think there's there's plenty of that I think you know that we would be perceived as being arrogant uh, things like that sort of back that up and it's very very hard then to fight that but uh, I think it's more uh, you know something that is growing organically rather than you know us adding fuel to the fire all the time and I think the other thing about it is that, you know, if if we are going to do anything, you know, as a as a county say, then we're going to need those cohort of like. I mean, I know I said that we have a lot of same same, but you could argue like the geezer did look for Paul McKeown. He's got he's got a child. He's got another one on the way. He's he's just he's just he, he's not in the space for county football right now. Um, Kyle Carr. Kyle Carr is another yeah. one who who took himself off the squad last year, so he hasn't been asked back. Um, Paul build, building a house or something was that it? Yeah, that Paul, Paul Hughes, not himself. Like, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have the hands for that. But uh, Paul Hughes is is away to America, so they're probably three players that you would argue could. could There's Aaron could, as well, though. I mean, Aaron, yeah, absolutely, is, yeah. You know, Aaron Curran's situation. Whatever he was thirty when he retired, was yeah. he? You know, and it just seems like it's not like he's he doesn't look. He's not a Wayne Rooney type. You know, he doesn't look yeah. like you know. He hasn't been taking care of himself or, you know, he's uh, he's put some weight on and he just couldn't be bothered losing. I mean, Aaron Kernan looks yeah. like, he looks like an inter-county footballer still, well, you know? I suppose a dream for any footballer would be when Gareth O'Neill took over the job for himself and, and John recently, he gave all the um, the senior players a number of months off and I think Aaron nearly had a, a coronary heart attack because uh, he was given two exalt. I think... Uh, Probably three day, three or four days later, he was up in the field, running around the field because he just that's just him. He, he you know he keeps himself in great shape. He was probably let go too easily, I think. Um, but look at if the lad wanted to go and he wanted to retire and he's got different things going on. Well, then you know that's fair enough. But certainly he's another player that if you go and watch Ama uh, League football or Championship football, he's one of the players that you'll pick out. Yeah, and I suppose yeah, like you know it's maybe we're kind of going around in circles. But I mean, like those guys are obviously really good footballers and. They deserve. I mean, it's not a case of well, if they don't make the first fifteen, they're no use to us. I mean, the more good footballers you have in your twenty-six, the better. Absolutely. So you know, you you, you at this, I, I understand maybe where you're coming from that there's not the all stars that would you would have had in the past from Cross McGlen, but you're still losing brilliant players if the communication between our man Cross McGlen isn't what it should be. But if there's three of them that don't make themselves available, there's not a lot Keo McGinney can do about it. You know, he can't force them to be there. I mean, and that's a problem that is recreated in all. Uh, the weaker counties or the counties who aren't going that well all over the country, you know it's it's happening in every county. I mean, it's only the the teams who are going really, really well, top four or five teams who can uh, attract the best players all the time. The other the other teams are really, really struggling because if you look at Armagh, are Armagh realistically going to win an, an All-Ireland now? No. So, you know, what have they got to play for? They've got to play for a bit of respectability. Is that enough for some boys? I don't even know. I mean, we've I've heard rumours this week that, you know, there is going to be a few of them who are going to head away to America. I hope that's not true because 
Arma really need to you know get some sort of run in the qualifiers now. When you trace this back to last season, myself and Murphy just chatting on the way in here about uh, about. Uh, the build-up to the game against Donegal last year, there was this huge hope, huge hype, and there was this real talk that Armagh could be challenging again, and McGinney was there. They were fairly stuffed in that game, and there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of fight yeah. from the team. Do you think that that has had a, a bigger impact than we might have even thought at the time, that that maybe knocked a bit of the fight out of them, just took away a little bit of the belief that they might have had in what McGinney could do for, yeah, burst the bubble for that? Bu- but yeah, yeah, maybe burst the bubble a bit. I always think that, that a manager's Best opportunity to do Alice is first year, you know, because players uh, they will take everything in, they will do whatever it takes in order to first of all get a place on the panel, then get a place in the team, and then to maintain that place. I've never been, uh, and it's been a, a while since I've looked forward to a game as much as I look forward to, and I said it here. <laughs> I remember, I yeah, said yeah. it here. Um, I look forward to a game before we played Donegal last year. So we were the ones a, hyping it. As it was saying, a flat, yeah. flat performance. Yeah. You probably have to accept some sort of responsibility. <laughs> for it. uh, but it's a collective, it's you're a collective right, thing. You're here. right; it could be a hangover. It could be a hangover from that. But I, I, th- I still think if you look at last year's team, and you look at even the physique and the conditioning last year, I still think we looked a lot better last year. You know, um, physically and and there was the bones of a of a good outfit. I just think we a lot of our players look heavy leg last week. And a lot of our players looked as if, you know, maybe their days at inter-county level is is over. I just wanted to mention the dubs coming into this game against Leash. Darrow Shea wrote a piece in the Irish Times this week. I was actually saving this quote for our US Murph chat later on. But you can I can, use it again. I can take a little bit. <laughs> you can use it again. Good worry. value out of this yeah, Darrow yeah. Shea kind of this week. So essentially what he's saying is when you're defending, we're talking about defending an All-Ireland title and how it's so hard to do. And he, he says that if you just coast along and don't aren't particularly challenged you'll think you're there and you'll only find out too late that, you're, that you don't really have it that year, which is something we've heard before. But he reckons you need a jolt, something that surprises you or unsettles you. It could be a change of management as has happened with Kerry in the past. And he is extrapolating from that that maybe losing Jack McCaffrey and Rory O'Carroll during the winter, as Dublin did, might end up being a good thing. They just have to think a little bit differently about what they're doing and, and show a little bit more sort of fire. Would you? Um, what do you think of... Darrow Shea's yeah, calling this week no, without having read yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> well, you're the team that came closest to doing yeah. it, really, aren't you? Other than Kerry actually doing it in 2007. Yeah. I mean, you got to within a Conor Gormley block. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Um, so is it you know is there any possibility that something no, like that losing two key players especially if there's time to react to it could end up being a jolt? Yeah, and it gives a, gives a bit of freshness squad. But I also think um, Dublin being away from home this weekend, not being in Crow Park, being in Nolan Park... All the controversies that have surrounded us, uh, all this, all the, you know, the voices that we've heard, you know, about the fact that you know Dublin are eventually outside Echo Park, but they but they didn't take them to Omer Park, Port Leash, mm. um, and I think this will reinvigorate them in a way this weekend. I think you know it'll be a break from the norm. It'll be something different, and Dublin will have a point to prove this weekend because the one thing they'll be saying is these boys think we can't play outside Echo Park. And you know we want to prove that. Did they have a lot else to play for? You know, in this Leinster Championship, probably not. And they probably will be still going into a quarterfinal. I still think that they are setting standards now that um, you know they, they they're not going to fall below them. And Darroche is right in what he says and how teams have been caught in the past. But honestly, on that when I watched the league final and I mentioned the last time I was in when I watched the league final, this is a different animal now. Mm-hmm. Completely different animal, you know. Whether that's borne out 
in the third week in September remains to be seen. But if you can, if you have looked at the championship so far, you know, hasn't it been very, very predictable? Even yeah, more predictable been. as usual. Like one of the things I wrote um, before the Ulster championship started was that uh, every team in Ulster was capable of taking a scalp. You know, but you that, look at the, look at the winning margins. Yeah, in Ulster, and Malachy Clarkham was writing about it in the Times. Uh, eight on points Monday. or something. Yeah, it? that it was it's huge. Like Fermanagh, uh, you know, could have beaten Antrim by a lot more than they ended yeah. up doing. Cavan obviously stitching a lot more points on yeah. Armagh than we would have expected. And Tyrone beating Derry so much more convincing than we thought as well. I mean, you know, if you, what you're looking for the, what, when people give out about the the first few rounds of the Ulster Championship is that they're tight, dour games. Yeah. We haven't even had the the tightness <laughs> that you would expect in these games so far. We've had the dour though. <laughs> yeah, plenty of dour. But uh, yeah, well, Derry Derry usually take care of that on our behalf. And and then you're looking into a game this weekend that that in, in the past you would have got very excited about down Monaghan and you're just thinking this is more of the same this weekend. Yeah. That's the spirit, Oshin. We're all looking forward to <laughs> the next few days. Stick to the Euros. Thanks so much, Oshin. Thank you. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. the humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. So, Oisín, pretty much summed up our five-minute chat at the start by one pithy phrase there. He gives Joe Brody a fool's pardon. Mm. And, and on he goes, but a little bit similar to you. Very downbeat on the level of talent available to uh, to Armagh at the moment. But also, you know, Oisín was quite clear there in saying that McGinney, he feels, could, could be getting more out of them. That, and I was very surprised to hear how physically they didn't look great mm. this idea that they're in the gym the whole time and they're in the gym too much and yet as Oshin says they come out and they d- certainly didn't look that way so in one way you could say well that that proves that McGinney isn't flogging them and he's not putting them in the gym too often mm. but on the other hand it, it, it's up to an inter-county manager at this at this level to particularly with the access that they have to these players to get them in better physical shape you would have thought yeah well I was just really surprised by how little how how little they depended on their own physicality, more so even than how they looked, whether they looked fit or whether they looked like they could do with more conditioning work or not. I mean, I just think that they didn't throw their weight around at all. Like, they didn't have any interest in making it a physical fight at any stage in the game, which is pretty strange because, I mean, obviously Cavill have a couple of big guys in the forward line. But, I mean, it's a very up-and-down forward line from a size point of view. I mean, Argue, McGivney, McKernan are huge guys. But then they have some very slight... Uh, forwards as well, and and that Cavan aren't a huge team, not by not by any stretch of the imagination. And you think if if Armagh have their strength and conditioning done correctly, that they have a chance to actually sort of win some of the physical collisions in the game. But as it turns out, there were no physical collisions. Um, that there just there wasn't didn't seem to be any bite in Armagh at all. And you know, I mean, I, I you know, you can be wise after the fact maybe and say that they didn't look all that fit, but they just didn't. They just didn't seem to have any interest in making it a physical contest at all. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because you know Armagh, it, the Donegal game last year is is a very worthwhile comparison to make because 
that was uh, 65 in Pickham last, last year. I mean, a lot of people were saying this is the time now for McGinney's Armagh to make a statement. And they lost that game so convincing. I mean, losing at home to Galway last year, you know, the form line doesn't suggest that that's an amazing result. Or, you know, that, that, like that's a poor result for Armagh, really. Like Galway haven't done anything since then to say that, right, that's a team on a massive upward curve or anything like that. Galway are a team very much at Armagh's level and home advantage should have swung it for Armagh without a shadow of a doubt. And kind of since then, since the Donegal game, we just haven't seen anything from them. I mean, they they lost three games in the league and got relegated, which some would say is kind of unlucky. But, like, again, they were seven points up with two minutes to go against Galway and lost the game. Or, and drew the game, rather. Um, you know, they, they, they just don't seem to have any conviction in what they're doing. And, you know, it's, it's weird. Like, Kildare didn't have great footballers either, but you kind of got the impression that they were always capable of winning at their level. And, you know turning up on big championships now they were obviously they, they shipped a few heavy defeats as well but I mean they lost one qualifier game in the year all the years that McGinney was in charge which would suggest that they were they were playing above the, the natural ability that, that's in that panel you cannot say that about what's going on there at the moment quite the opposite in fact at the Irish Times second captain's football podcast will be out today that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really well you can laugh I'm the World Cup I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'll say it to you, Face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Wanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Well, and we're talking about uh, the whole situation with the Ireland squad with Emma Malone, who's uh, coming to the studio to talk to us. Um, obviously, Roy Keane's comments yesterday, and indeed last night, where he seemed to roll back a little bit from them. Um, we'll talk also about what's happening in France where all the positivity going to Euros um, has kind of dissipated a little bit uh, as several of the main figures in French football hurl insults and abuse at each other and accuse each other of uh, succumbing to racist pressure. Um, So that's a pretty interesting story. And we're also going to hear a little bit from Paul McGrath. Yeah, that's a chat from Cork earlier in the week. It's time now to talk to a presumably very, very happy... Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Ryan Murphy, three words for you. Golden State Warriors. <laughs> oh, can you throw a profanity in there too? Golden <laughs> State expletive warriors. Uh, yeah, you can. And by the way, one of my first thoughts in hearing that great, great intro you boys put together that always puts a smile on my face every time is that it may be time to institute or to add, and I dare I mess with a masterpiece, but <laughs> you might want to add some of these Steph Curry calls now. Or uh, We have our broadcaster here out in San Francisco named Tim Roy and his signature call when Steph Curry just reaches max peak Currydom and the house is tumbling down and he's rained home his third straight three and 
and the place is burning to the ground. And I can't do it because my voice is a little tweaked from a Game 7 um, uh, shout. But he, he goes guttural and he just says, Curry! And it's awesome. It's a great... Uh, <laughs> It's a great punctuation for uh, Bay Area fans and now all fans everywhere. And yeah, guys, I felt like you, um, you know, haven't talked to me in a few weeks because you had given up <laughs> on the Golden State Warriors. And a year ago, God, I always go back to a year ago in like February or whatever when I was telling you guys that something was brewing and not trying to, uh, to uh, burnish my own credentials, but maybe I am. Uh, it, I mean, look at it now. Not only did they win the NBA title last year, not only did they rack up the record 73 wins in the regular season, breaking Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen's record, but now coming back from 3-1 down to an incredibly talented Oklahoma City Thunder team that was so game and was peaking so hard and playing their best basketball of the year by far. Guys, that Thunder team dumped the San Antonio Spurs on their keister in a heartbeat, the Spurs won 67 games this year. Everybody thought for sure this whole Warriors run was going to come down to a showdown with the Greg Popovich, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard Spurs. That was the matchup everybody anticipated, but the Thunder just smacked the Spurs down. And that was, we should have known when that happened that they were coming in with a head of steam because those first four games when the Thunder took a four to one lead, I'm not going to say we gave up. Because obviously we didn't, and I, I think I can actually find air checks on the radio where I say, <laughs> yes, the Warriors can win three in a row. They can do this. But I don't know how much every fiber of my being believed they would because that Thunder team was playing so great. Russell Westbrook's explosiveness, their incredibly long-armed defense, the way they matched up and created three-point problems for the Warriors, that was a unbelievably difficult assignment for our Warriors and for them to take all that adversity, all that pressure of the 73 win season, all the theories that them going for the record had tired them out and to rip off three straight wins, especially the game six win in Oklahoma city. When clay Thompson entered the lore, Michael Jordan, Larry bird type performance with his 11, three pointers on the road in an elimination game. We are now just reaching just sort of, well, you can hear it in my voice. We're we're all just yeah. we're we're just in 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 basketball nirvana here, guys. Yeah, the voice does sound a little. Um, oh, I don't know what the word is. Uh, rough. Yeah, it's, rough, it's a little rough. rough. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm 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 looking here. Game seven is is a couple of days ago. I mean, you you mean you have you've had at least two <laughs> nights sleep to get. This I think sorted. I just need to shut up more, man. I, uh, <laughs> I it was a Monday was a tough day, or Tuesday was a tough day, and then Wednesday I probably talked too much. So, well, I got this stupid job where I have to talk for four hours a day on the living on the radio. So you I pledge to one... be ready for game one, guys. That's my pledge. Yeah, yeah. You just didn't think that went through. Um, you were tweeting <laughs> after game six that this was one of your three top three all time sporting events that you've ever experienced. Uh, and I think we, we probably all have little short lists like that uh, in our own heads. But, I mean, what what exactly was it that made it so, so sweet? The number one thing is it was done on the road, away from home. And that's what we, I think this whole thing, and you guys can relate to this, you can immediately think about the greatest times you've seen uh, Irish soccer, Ireland rugby, or whatever club you root for, EPL or whatever, or uh, when when your team is playing a massive game in the other team's stadium and your team somehow soars like an eagle, that is a different feeling than as a fan when your team does it at home 
this, there's something so magical about going into a just this den. This you know, sports is so much about just emotion and passion and life with the volume turned up. That all those cliches, and for you to go when your team goes into these dens, these lions dens, you know, these Roman coliseums where they're getting thrown to the lions, and there's like, oh my God, we're up against a force larger than us. It's not just the other team that's beating us. It's this just whatever football crowd. It's Soldier Field. That was one of my all-time favorites. The 1988 49ers going to Soldier Field in the 20 below weather of Chicago, which was supposed to freeze Joe Montana and Jerry Rice into an iceberg. And they instead slashed the Chicago Bears to death with an incredibly gutsy and tough performance to go on and win the NFC Championship. That was one of them. Or, and I know this one doesn't resonate over in Ireland, but for us Giants fans, when we were down three games to one to the St. Louis Cardinals and had one of our most downtrodden pitchers going in game five, a guy named Barry Zito, he had gotten a huge contract and had performed terribly. He was roundly considered a bum, but he was their only option to pitch. And it was considered to be a done deal that they would lose the game and the Cardinals would win the National League pennant. And instead, Barry Zito reached out and pitched the greatest game of his life one of the most goosebump-inducing things you ever see. Just one of these guys just in, in, in a road environment, facing elimination and performing like that. And then and now game six in Oklahoma City. That Oklahoma City crowd, guys. You know, we always brag about the Oracle crowd in Oakland. Oh, yeah, we're great fans. Yeah, well, guess what? Um, I honestly think the Oklahoma City crowd is louder and more intense than the Oakland crowd. It is, it is an incredibly intimidating thing. And Oklahoma City was winning the game the entire game. And they were down. They were up seven with four and a half minutes to play, and that was when Clay Thompson ripped a three pointer from the top of the key that cut it from cut it from seven to four. And and you know we talked about it. if he had missed that shot, and Oklahoma City gets the rebound and comes down and scores a two or a three, they'd be up nine or ten with four minutes to play. And now you're talking it's over. So when Clay ripped that three from about twenty six feet out and cut it to four. And then Andre Iguodala started playing unbelievable defense on Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And the Oklahoma City Thunder finally started to crack. After five and a half games of incredible Thunder ball, they started to feel the Warriors' heat. And they started playing their worst ball down the stretch. And Russell Westbrook turned it over four times in the final minute 40 and then and then and then Clay ripped another three at 101 all to make it 104-101 and silenced that crowd. It was just too magical. So for everything that went into it, whether, you know, the road environment, an elimination game, you lose and your season's over, but you add in the Warriors still trying to validate that 73-win season and make an argument that they could be the greatest team in the history of the NBA, made it all one of, if not the greatest, game a Bay Area team has ever played uh, in a road environment. I think you've really put it into its proper context there, Brian, because, I mean, we were, you said we'd given up on you. That's that's not quite true. We were going to call <laughs> you after game four when they were three, the Warriors were 3-1 down. At that stage, they were pretty much, I mean, it looked like they were gone and the narrative was going to be all about how they tried too hard to get that perfect or get that record season and they didn't save enough gas in the tank for these massive games coming down the stretch when it really matters. Uh, they, then to turn it around in the way that they did and, you know, that season, that, that incredible season that we talked about quite a few times during the course of would have been pointless, really, if they'd gone and gotten bombed out at essentially the semi-final stage. So to do that, and I was watching Game 6, I think it was, was it Sunday, Saturday night? It was, anyways, 2 o'clock in the morning, all these games are on over here, so I recorded, got, got, got up nice and early 
to watch it. And it's one of those ones, you know, you're kind of half awake and uh, I, I got about a little while to fully engage with this amazing spectacle. But by the end of it, you're just up off the couch going crazy. It was just <laughs> unbelievable to watch. And that's for somebody who is a, a more recent convert to, <laughs> to the bandwagon of the, the Warriors. But yeah, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was uh-huh. stunning. And there was still a game seven to win. Yeah, I'm so glad that you uh, experienced it like that because it really did need to be experienced without knowing the score and yeah. to see the the climb that they made all game and to know. And like you said, I mean, we could have debated forever whether the 73 wins was too much. It was an unanswerable and unprovable question because, you know, the way the Thunder were playing, my argument was that even if the Warriors had saved gas in their tank and, you know, won 70 games or 69 games or whatever – the way the Thunder played the first few games, I, I don't think I don't think those things made the difference. And there were stats to back up my argument that it wasn't the seventy three win chase because Steph Curry actually didn't play a ton of minutes in most of those wins. And in fact, statistically, he 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 was not among the top minutes guys in the league. He actually, you know, so he, the Warriors sat him in so many fourth quarters of blowouts. So you know, you could argue it all day, or you could say there was it was too mentally taxing. Maybe the mental aspect of having to stay engaged that long now. The key moment in that whole deal was that Steve Kerr, the coach, the very, very highly lauded and decorated coach who handles himself with great, he's a very, you know, he's got a great way about him. He's got an intellectual way about him. He's got a sense of humor, but he's also a tenacious fighter. And was Michael Jordan's teammate on those 96 Bulls that won 73 games. He was the sharpshooter of those Bulls. This guy has so many pelts on his wall. It's unbelievable for being kind of an unassuming little six foot two white guy. He is a quite a figure in the history of the game. He played for Greg Popovich's Spurs. Uh, he, like I said, the Jordan Bulls, and now he's been the coach of the all-time winningest team. He made a questionable move by letting the players decide. He said, okay, we have a chance to go for the record or we don't. Do you guys want to do it? Because the most important thing was they had to seal the one seed for home court, which is, has proved to be all the difference in the world. Having home court for Game 7 was why they beat the Thunder finally. And the, and the, and the Warriors players voted to go for the record. Led by Draymond Green, Mr. Spirit himself, Mr. Passion, Blood, Guts, the whole thing. He was like, we're this close to history. We got to go for it. Now, should Steve Kerr have let the players decide? You know, that would have been something uh, uh, debated forever. Should the players have, you know, reconciled their ways? I don't know. Now, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, they still have to win an NBA Finals, but I think most people feel that at this point they've answered the question about the 73 wins. Unless they go out and lay, you know, four eggs in a row and get swept by Cleveland, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, it would have been a raging debate. And instead, that it's now just a raging salute. My favorite stat about being down three games to one in a conference final is that it hadn't been accomplished. A win had not been accomplished since the 1981 Boston Celtics. We're talking 35 years. And since then, 25 teams in the conference finals had been presented with a 3-1 deficit. And all 25 had lost. <laughs> oh, for 25. So the, the, the Warriors continue you to make history you know i mean it's now they're it's not just the 73 wins it's not just the steph curry's three pointers it's not just steph curry's unanimous mvp now they become only the third team ever to come back from a 3-1 deficit in a conference final and really when you draw it even larger in the nba playoffs first and second rounds included only the 10th team ever out of 243 teams that were down 3-1 so they just continue to astound and i think we underestimate because of steph curry's demeanor we underestimate what a what an alley cat this guy is what a i mean lebron it's easy to see his ferocity he's so strong michael jordan it was so easy to see the tongue hanging out in the in the in the face the face that he had 
you could see everything. Kobe Bryant, Bryant snarled every day he was on the court. Well, Steph Curry never does any of that, and he looks like he's 12 years old, like Steve Kerr said. Steve Kerr said after Game 7, somebody said, why does he still get questioned? Because he still does. You know, We've gone through the litany of former players that just have not accepted Steph for being one of the greats. And he said, because he looks like he's 12 years old. <laughs> They've never really had a dominant player who looks like this, but do not mistake that look. That is, a, that is an alley cat, man. That is a one-eyed alley cat who will fight you to his death and they saw him display in Game Seven. And oh, by the way, Clay Thompson, same deal. Yeah. Clay Thompson's performance in Game Six is the same deal. They're both sons of NBA players, so they're perceived to have grown up in wealth and comfort. They're not as hungry, quote unquote, as the other guys who grew up in less fortunate families. Well, guess what? These guys are are not just had privileged uh, childhoods with their parents being rich, rich athletes. They somehow have found a ferocity and a fire. And we saw on display in, in majestic fashion in the past week. There was an interesting piece in the Irish Times this week, Brian, by Dar O'Shea, the great Kerry footballer, who made the point that he was talking about how difficult it is to win back-to-back titles, back-to-back All-Irelands in his case. He won six of them as a player, but only once did they manage to actually back it up the following year. He says you need, he thinks you need two things, really, to, be go, to, to happen to be successful in defending uh, something of that prestige. The first, you have to have the right, the, pl- the right players at the right stage of their career. So nobody too young, nobody too old, n- nobody that you have to carry one way or the other. So he likes, you know, like most of your players being sort of 23 to 29, 30 kind of age. But the second one, he says, is I think you have to get a jolt somewhere along the way, something that applies the jump leads to get the hunger going again. If you turn up in the same shape as you were the year before, that's not going to be good enough. You need something to surprise you or unsettle you in some way to make you hell-bent on reaching a new height. Do you think maybe that's what, what's happened over the course of this series? Yeah, that's a, that's, those are two unbelievably great points, man. That, I bring that up on the air tomorrow. It really was. <laughs> Feel free. I, ta- ta- I like, take it away, yeah. What was his name again? Who was it? That's Dara O'Shea. Was he Kerry or yeah, what? Yeah, one of, the, one of the great Kerry footballers from a great Kerry football family. His uncle was one of the, the all-time legends, and he became one of the more recent legends, yeah. That's cool, man. I like what he said yeah. because, A, he's right about the, the age and the legs. That's something that's been working in the Warriors' favor so much. Curry and Clay, the two most important guys, are totally in their prime. Steph just turned 27, I believe, if not 28, and Clay is even younger, 25. So the two most important guys are smack in their primes. That's a huge factor for their skill set and their legs and their lungs. But yeah, the jolt. You know, it's funny. Kobe Bryant said along the way when he was doing his farewell tour, He's kind of adopted Draymond Green as his little brother now, and he tells Draymond to keep being this this thorn in the Warriors' side. You know, I don't know. I think we talked in February about the famous incident where he, he almost got into a fight with Steve Kerr at halftime mm. in this famous game at Oklahoma City, the game that ended with Steph hitting that damn near half-court shot to cap off a 46-point game and a huge comeback in the second half. And and, and people said, you know what, maybe Draymond, Draymond said, Kobe told Draymond, Never stop being that disruptive force. These guys have to be unsettled and all that. And, you know, you can debate whether that's right or not, but Dara O'Shea says so and and Kobe and Draymond say so. But, but there was a point where that started to work against them because I don't, you know, we haven't even talked about the bad days of this series when they were down 3-1. Draymond Green was playing terribly and he got cut, busted, kicking Steven Adams in the groin and there was a con- huge American debate over whether or not there was intent doing that. It had to go to an all-day deliberation in the NBA offices between games three and four as to whether or not he would be suspended for a flagrant technical foul. And Draymond's fire was was turning from from the positive 
fuel of intensity to the singeing fire of, of, of damage. He was damaging them with his, his intensity. And so there was that point. And, and then they, he got a fortunate break. The NBA ruled that he could play in game four and he went out and played terribly. He clearly was intimidated by the scene. He clearly was rattled by all the attention that had come to him. And it was the first time we'd seen, you know, Mr. Big Bad Draymond Green, who is my all time favorite warrior, uh, <laughs> see him shrink up like that. And that was the jolt. It was not that Draymond was was kicked Stephen Adams in the groin. It wasn't just that he didn't get suspended. It was how they responded and got crushed down 3-1. That was the jolt. And and that is incredible that O'Shea wrote that because I think he's actually he's absolutely right. I think that uh, maybe if this thing had kind of gone a different way, then maybe the Thunder would have gotten him. I can't say enough about the Thunder, guys. That was an unbelievably great Thunder team. To the point where I'm actually like looking forward to the Cleveland series because, I mean, as great as Cleveland is, there's no way they can be as tough as Oklahoma City was. So being down 3-1 and shrinking on the big stage the way Draymond did and Steph did too, Steph was invisible when they were down 3-1 too, was, was the jolt that he was talking about. So I'm totally in concurrence with that observation. Yeah, you mentioned it's the Cavaliers, which means it's LeBron again. Does he have enough around him this year to challenge the Warriors? Well, this is the great question now. I mean, the, 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 we have a brief lead-up, you know, only a couple days, but, but the brief lead-up is, the, the phrase is, the Cavaliers are writing the slogan, we want to know. Meaning, last year, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were hurt. They were out. LeBron had to do it all by himself, and he did a damn good job. He played brilliantly and took it to six games. Well, this year, he has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love back. He even has two additional bench players named Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson that have helped him, and they are shooting three-pointers at a Warriors-like clip, and then some. They've adopted this whole mantra. They've changed their identity. Even in the last two months, they've become this three-point shooting machine, and they're going to try to out-three the Warriors I, I question whether or not that's a smart move because I think the Warriors can never be out threed. And I mean, we'll see. They got to play the games. But the answer is LeBron is coming in with his best roster since his Miami Heat days when he had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch. He has, there are zero excuses. And he, they have craved a rematch at Steph Curry and the Warriors, who they believe had an asterisk next to their win last year because the Cavaliers weren't at full strength. So this is. You know, th- this is their, we want to know, we want to know. Well, the other side of that is that the Warriors feel all year long that they heard the, the Cavaliers say, well, they only beat us because we weren't at full strength. So this is the Warriors' motivation. Oh, we want to know now. We're going to show you that even you at full strength can't beat us. It's a sensational matchup on paper. It's one of the greats of this century so far. Uh, two-time MVP Steph versus four-time MVP LeBron. LeBron is in his sixth straight NBA final, which is an all-time record for a non-Celtic. The Boston Celtics, of course, made 11 straight finals with Bill Russell. But nobody other than those 60 Celtics has ever gone to six straight finals. LeBron is making history all the time. And he's looking at a situation where Steph Curry's stolen his mantle. Steph is now the MVP. Steph is now America's darling. Steph is the guy in the White House doing the commercial shoot with President Obama. LeBron is, I mean, it sounds very harsh to say this, but he's almost like yesterday's news. He really is. So there's a tremendous amount both on and off the court at stake in this. And LeBron is going in with no excuses and a fully loaded gun. So I can't wait. So all these games are on uh, BT Sport. So uh, if any listeners don't have BT Sport, I do urge you 
to not find out the result until you log on to your Twitter account, Brian. Because re- <laughs> that's how I've checked all of the... I haven't watched as much of the Warriors as I like, but the games I haven't been able to see, I just log on to your Twitter account and see <laughs> if the mood is grey or if the mood is euphoric. And that pretty much tells me uh, all I need to know. That's great. Well, I'm going to try to keep it up, man. Now, sometimes like I have Little League practice this Thursday, so I'm going to miss the first two quarters. But I'll be tweeting from halftime on. And then everything. It's more fun to do that than make the mistake I made yesterday, which was I just had enough and I just started lobbing out my initial anti Donald Trump tweets, which, you know, there's no, it's a no win proposition because now <laughs> I've got, now I rousted the loonies and now they're coming at me like you wouldn't believe. And it's like, uh, Keep you know, so I, over there, finally bud. somebody said to me, they said, Murph, you know, you got to be smarter than this. They said, dude, you you know, your tweets about the Warriors are great. You're gonna. There's no winning. You just the loonies are coming for you, dude. And so I, he's right. I got to stay away. So I'm gonna stay away from the Trump tweets and focus back on the Warriors and uh, and hopefully live up to your billing, Karen. Brian, mm-hmm. give that voice a rest. Maybe get a little bit of, a little bit of honey down you. Something like that. I hear that can be good for a source. <laughs> I right? will tweet silently, boys. No talking, <laughs> just tweeting. How's that? Thanks, Brian. All the best, boys. The finals start tonight at the Oracle Arena there in Oakland. So that will be in the early hours of Friday morning on BT Sport, as you mentioned earlier, Murph. Or just follow uh, Brian's Twitter feed, whatever way you want to do it there. The idea of Steve Kerr just letting the players decide that they were put into a vote, essentially, seems absolutely crazy to me. But... uh, It's all looking pretty good now because they're they're heading into another, uh, another NBA Finals. Just on the American sporting scene before we leave it, there's a bit of golf news, I believe. Oh, yes, the uh, WGC event at Doral, <coughs> owned by Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. We're going to win so much! <laughs> Indeed. Uh, has been moved. Uh, Ken, I don't know if you've heard this. They've moved a very prestigious golf tournament, the USPG, have moved a very prestigious golf tournament from a Donald Trump-owned uh, resort to uh, a new golf course, in uh, Mexico City. <laughs> Do you want to hear what uh, Tim Fincham, head of the USPGA, has said? What Do I? Some of the reaction revolves around the feeling that somehow this is a political exercise <laughs> and it is not that in any way, shape or form. It is fundamentally a sponsorship issue. Uh, we are a conservative organisation. We value dollars for our players. So from a golf standpoint, we have no issues with Donald Trump. From a political standpoint, we are neutral. I think it's more Donald Trump as a brand, a big brand, huge. Uh, he didn't add, say huge one. And when you're asking a company to invest millions of dollars in branding a tournament and they're going to share that brand with the host, well, it's a difficult conversation. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and they just, you know, they were, they were queuing up in Mexico to get this tournament there. Yeah. I'm sure there was, there's no political angle mm. whatsoever. Donald, what a uh, stand by the USPGA. Yeah, Donald, Donald do you want to hear what Trump had to say? Sad. Yeah, and they're moving into Mexico City, which, by the way, I hope they have kidnapping insurance. Did he actually say that? Yeah. Oh I would make much more money at Doral if I didn't have a tournament. March is the prime month in Florida. You can't get a room and have the best rooms in Miami. I love the tournament. It's been here 50 years. With all of that said, I would make much more money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you go. Roy, Roy McIlroy has, um, has also commented. It's quite ironic that we're going to Mexico after being at Doral. I suppose we'll just jump over the wall. Wall just got 10 feet higher. <laughs> yeah, I think it did. And I think uh, all those, all of those undocumented Irish in uh, in America, ah, Donald Trump's brain doesn't work like that. Come on, that's ridiculous. All right, Murphy and Ken, step aside and pass me that mic. Owen's poems with Owen McDevitt, featuring the poetry of Owen McDevitt. Oh, what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is! Right. Nonsense. 
Lyrical Gangster, Olmet Evan here. And a big step up in quality this week, and quantity for that matter. Maybe it was the identity of the subject matter, John the Bullhays. Maybe it was the very strict rules I laid down regarding rhyming structure. But either way, some top, top efforts, I should say, from our listeners. Honourable mention, so many of them. Dermot O'Neill and Mark Townsend both went with Thank You for the Hayes. Mark in particular sticking rigidly to the Kinks original there. Unfortunately, they both broke the rules, so they can't get in. When, when Bulls <laughs> Cry... When Bulls Cry by Daniel Brady. When Bulls Cry, well, I like the title. I like the title. Good, yeah, 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 middle in quality poem, but thank you, Dan. Ozer McMahon, Owen Murphy, Atif Ahmed from London, John Martin, who goes by the, na- the nom de plume, Cavan Cola. Okay, good. You yeah. almost got in, John. You were just on the cusp, but I'm afraid you're good. Paddy Con- but no, hang on. Uh, Paddy Conway went for a Euro 2016 poem, and Liam Mannion, a poem in defence of Kieran McGuinney, which oh. is actually very good, Liam, but not for this particular, uh, you know, I choose the topic, and I choose the main protagonist. We might get that McGinney poem in Mark Armstrong, I'll get back to Mark actually, Barry Duffy, Colm Doyle, Al Pollock, William Thornton, John Walsh, who delivered a multilingual piece so complex, so full of genius, that it's too difficult for me to read on air. Mark Armstrong's email, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. What kind of poetry competition is this? You have to do a 16-line poem in four, four stanzas yep. with like a really, a kind of really rigid rhyming structure. Yeah. And, and if it's too complicated, yeah, you just refuse to read it. I'll show you this poem later. Right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> this is a Philistine, a Philistine ethos to this com- contest. It's, it's Owen's poems. poems. And right. he gets to set the rules. Mark Armstrong. We, we, we should make the point that the, the number of entries <laughs> has exploded once McDevitt laid down the exact oh, parameters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, people were scared by the freedom. People want to be dictated to here, Ken. And... Uh, Kevin's doing a pretty good job. Everyone, uh, all these sort of lyrical equivalents of those sort of watercolours of the Viennese uh, Parliament House or whatever. <laughs> that's uh, that's what we're getting in here. Mark Armstrong's email to secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Good evening. After a shocking heavy weekend on the beer, I very nearly forgot to send in my poem for John Hayes. <laughs> However, undeterred by the cruel blow of a second place finish last week, here's my one last tilted glory. And I will break the suspense by telling Mark that he has once again become runner-up for this effort. So it's two weeks in a row. TB Tests and Tackle Bags is the title. The unsung hero who sang us full of pride before the Croke Park Cull. They went in peace where stands are full to love and serve our man the bull. Stubborn as a lad half full of liquor and he on the pull. Brought up five miles from hospital. Neither tackle nor typhoid could sicken the bull. (laughs) Not a man to sit and mull disaster in his shiny skull. Neil Backstabber pulled the wool over the cup but still found the bull. Grass- well, that was good. Yeah, that was a bit that's more good. complicated, but I liked it. Yeah, grassroots with a hint of je ne sais qua, like a Cadbury's creme brulee. <laughs> <laughs> Many uh, a front row props malaise. Oh, to have another John Bull Hayes. Well done. Oh, no, no round of applause. No, because it's only bah. round. Steady on, Si. I that's- just, felt, I just felt the last stanza. Non- I thought the the, the the third stanza worked. Je ne sais. Je ne sais qua. Yeah, I don't. That was good. No, I didn't like it. I didn't. I, d- I just thought it was a little forced. The the, the third one showed real lyrical skill. I thought. Yeah, but the fourth. No, I love the fourth, and that's the reason this made the cut. Uh, mm. That's anonymous. Mark Armstrong. He continues to try to retain anonymity uh, despite his re- sickeningly high quality of poetry. Winner this week is Kevin O'Connell, who has nominated Ken Early to muscle in on Owen's poems and read his winning. Oh, nice. Kevin O'Connell in Cork. He says, "I call this John Hayes, and that's H A Z E. Okay, like purple Hayes." My month-old son, awake he stays, with him I pace my tight hallways. And it's from a deep and weary days that I conjure this poem about John Hayes. I know not much of rugby ways, 
My mind can't fathom their myriad plays. I like to hear what Thornley says. He always seemed to like John Hayes. <laughs> Toward the Euros, my mind sways. Oh, to see you go like Trezeguet's. And I wonder aloud as his cows graze. Is soccer a game watched by John Hayes? His name pops up in Ken's segways. An honour many listener craves. But now the baby to tiredness caves. Oh, yes, this line... Should mention Hayes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's very good. Well done, Captain like O'Connor. Like John it. Hayes. And we will give you a prize. I think maybe a set of second captain's darts could find mm. its way over to Cork. Mm. It, it, it took me into the moment there. I liked the opening, the opening four lines. Yeah. yeah, it was good. I crudely denied Michael Beecher a prize last week, didn't I? Our winner with his ode to Damien Duff. Okay, we'll, we'll get Michael Beecher a set of second captain's darts yeah. as well. Dude, there's Fancy. something in there for him, I'm sure. We'll ho- Sorry, can you? No, just... Uh, I wonder, is this slot going to take off? <laughs> the new Pat Inglesby over here. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, bringing the like lines Pat back Inglesby, to City. Owen is as much a part of Dublin's Fair City as the Hidney you, Bridge. You know the key to hyping a segment of this game, don't you? Yeah. You give it a rest for a week, which is what I'm going to do next week, and possibly, possibly bring it back for... The sort Euros. of a Euros yeah, extravaganza. Euros extravaganza. Maybe, maybe we should wait for like the first three or four maybe even the first weekend of the Euros some ridiculously named person will become a short-lived 48-hour superstar and we should just get poems on that person Murph what's the name of the segment? Owens, Owens Poems Leave okay. the rules to Owens me. Poems it rhymes the way that you the way that you have to say it so that it rhymes Yeah, fair enough Mega Football Pod on the way today Sorry, featuring Paul McGrath and the <laughs> rather harsh musings of Roy Keane about him. quite a few members of the Irish squad who he will be helping to manage to glory in France. Uh, we'll talk about all of that in the football podcast today. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for listening. And we'll chat to you later. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, though.